Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. Welcome to FOMO Friday. (laughs) Boy, do we have some interesting articles for you today. And if you haven't heard of our FOMO Friday uh, podcast, we love on Fridays to bring you some some news articles and some things that are happening uh, all over the world, really, um, but mainly in in America, uh, that uh, you may or maybe may not have heard. And especially if you're not listening to the liberal media, you probably haven't heard of some of these. And so we don't want you to miss out. We don't even want you to have the fear of missing out. And so we bring you FOMO Fridays so that you will not fear the missing of these articles. And first of all, today, we wanted to start out with Minnesota Public School. The schools defend anti-white firing practices that put critical race theory into practice. Yeah, so this is kind of interesting. A new report uh, out of Minnesota shows yet again that when critical race theory is put into practice, it is nothing more than overt anti-white racism. And we already know that anyway, but that's <laughs> this this just really confirms it. S- supposedly, to correct past wrongs, the Minnesota F- uh, Federation of Teachers Union has conjured up a a collective bargaining agreement that stipulates that white teachers be fired before their non-white colleagues. That's what I said. So so when they need to lay off somebody or they need to fire somebody, they aren't going to go off of of the normal way of doing things with seniority. They are going to look around and see the color of the teacher's skin and then pick on the whites. The the Minnesota Public School District not only agreed to that firing practice, but it is now defending it. From the uh, Daily Wire, they said that under the contract, non-white teachers are considered a population underrepresented among licensed teachers. That's their quote. That Racial category means that for some reason, they should be prevented from being laid off first, regardless of their educational qualifications. It doesn't matter how good a teacher they are. It doesn't matter how much education they have or degrees or whatever. It doesn't matter about any of that. It just simply matters what their skin color is. The recent contract agreement between the union and Minneapolis Public Schools states, quote, starting with the spring 2023 budget tie-out cycle, if accessing a teacher who is a member of a population underrepresented among licensed teachers in the site, the district shall access the next least senior teacher who is not a member of an underrepresented population. Now, when they say accessing, that refers to the reduction of staff, basically. The justification for such blatant racial uh, discrimination is purportedly to rectify past discrimination. 
In a statement given to the Washington Times, the Minneapolis School District actually defended its racist policies. Listen to this, quote, to remedy the continuing effects of past discrimination, Minneapolis Public Schools and the Minneapolis Federation of Teachers, or MFT, mutually agree to contract language that aims to support the recruitment and retention of teachers from underrepresented groups as compared to the labor market and to the community served by the school district, unquote. That's that's what the district told the D.C.-based paper. Now, if that sounds familiar to you, and it probably should, it is because it is nearly identical to the advice from one of America's most prominent, I guess, CRT theorists theorists and, and hucksters, and that would be Dr. Ibram X. Kendi. You probably have heard of him, and you definitely have if you listen to this podcast. We've covered him a number of times. Uh, and this is what he wrote in his um, seminal book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. He wrote, quote, the only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. Yes, that is his theory. That is what he says we should do. In order to remedy racist discrimination, what do we need to do? Do we need to become colorblind? Do we need to become whatever? What is it that we need to do to remedy racist discrimination? We need to discriminate, is what he says. Quote, the only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. And he added, the only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. How how many brain cells do you have to lose in order to think that this is okay? Those principles once laid out and foisted upon college kids across America are now being played out in the real world here. What's worse is that the educators behind the anti-white discrimination want it to be a nationwide model for success. They're like, hey, look what we're doing here. Quote, it can be a national model and schools in other states are looking to emulate what we did. This is this is a quote from Edward Barlow. He's, he's a band teacher at Attawatin Middle School and a member of the Minneapolis Federation of Teachers Executive Board, and he told this to the Star Tribune. Quote, even though it doesn't do anything that we want it to do, it's still a huge move forward for the retention of teachers of color, he claimed. Wow. <laughs> so so the, the whole part of, the, the whole point of this is to basically keep a certain colored skin teacher teaching in the schools and keep other skin colors out. Absent of any qualification is the idea of merit. What reigns supreme in this agreement is the skin color of a teacher. In other words, it is a monumental step forward, is what he said, in the name of progress, in the name of social justice, the, the students, as well as, as white educators, whose only sin is, is being white, are, are put last. So 
I, you know, I, I have never been a huge fan of the union model of seniority firings. I, it just, to me, it, it, it just goes against the grain. If it doesn't take into account what type of teacher, let's say in this case, uh, that, 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 that individual is, it doesn't matter about, you know, any of that. It just matters. How long have you been in the job? That's it. That's all. And it, so, so that ho- the whole seniority thing is, is, is something I'm not a big fan of. But then when you add on top of this, the fact that you have to have a certain skin color and then we'll go to seniority, that's terrible. And that's CRT. And CRT is discrimination and racism. That's what CRT is. Critical race theory is in itself part of the discrimination and racism that we see in this country. This is, and, and, and what we're seeing here is the difference between equity and equality. So you may, they may sound the same. Again, we've done podcasts on this. You can go back into the archives and you can, you can, you can listen to these things. Equity and equality are not the same thing. Equity, when you hear the word equity, it means that everything has to be exactly the same. The numbers have to be exactly the same. It doesn't matter that there are more white people, let's say, in this country than black people by a long shot. It doesn't matter. We have to have the same exact amount of people of each color. And if we don't, well, you know, we have to do things to rectify that. Now, now equality is different. Everything is, is, is equality of, of opportunity. You have the same opportunity. Everybody has the same opportunity. That's what we try to strive for when we talk about equality. And those are exactly two different things. And this is a great example of how equity and CRT runs amok. So <laughs> let's move on, right? <laughs> we're we're going to run out of time <laughs> on the very first FOMO story here. So the teacher, there's, there's a teacher that has that has to catalog every single book in her classroom. And now she's saying that she, she's complaining about it. Basically the the teacher says students can't read any of her books until they're screened for age appropriateness. Oh no. From the daily dot.com, a Tennessee teacher on TikTok (laughs) claims that her students can't read any of the books in her classroom library until they're screened for age appropriateness, which is a rather long process. Oh no, not that. The teacher, Sydney, that's what she, she, call, she goes by, Sydney, recorded the viral video from her classroom on a Saturday. And she says that like most teachers, she doesn't like going to work on weekends, but she felt obligated to do so because her school school's book screening process. She does not say in the video what school she works at, but we do know that it's in Tennessee. And Tennessee Governor Bill Lee recently signed a law requiring school libraries to screen their materials for age appropriateness. This was according to the Chalkbeat Tennessee. Now, an additional bill could slap school librarians with criminal penalties over books that some might label obscene. Oh, okay. If a teacher wants his or her students to read any of the books at school or in the teacher's classroom, the teacher has to catalog every single book, teacher Sydney says in her TikTok video. And she explains that teachers have to catalog the title and the author 
of every book in their classroom, even if they have hundreds of books. After a teacher's catalogs their book, they they must send the list to their school librarian who has to list who has a list of approved books. Wow. Sydney says she doesn't know what that list is based on. Once the school librarian determines which books on a teacher's catalog are approved, teachers have to remove the unapproved books from their classrooms. If a teacher has a has any books that a librarian is uncertain about, they send those books to a higher up administrator and that person will then determine whether those books are are acceptable for the students. Now, after the administrator determines the approved and unapproved books, teachers once again have to remove any additional unapproved books. Then the teacher has to post the finalized list of, of approved books from the librarian and administrator online where parents, oh no, parents can view it. Oh, that's terrible. Parents can chime in even about any book they deem inappropriate, Sydney says. Whoa, what kind of what kind of place do we live in? After all that, the kids can finally start reading the books. Whoa, man, what a process. Sydney explains that her school district has told her and other teachers that they are not required to catalog their books, especially on weekends. However, she explains that many of her students want to read books and, uh, and regularly ask her if they can read from her classroom library. Quote, the kids in here are asking me, can I go get a book and read? And I have to say, no, you can't. Sydney says this in a, in a video course, maybe not with that you know, low of bass tone, but anyway, because I haven't had a chance to go through all of them, to catalog them and write them all down and send off to somebody that is going to tell them what they can or cannot read the books in my classroom library. Okay, maybe she didn't have quite that that tone either, but anyway, you get the you, you get the gist. While her video has received over 1.4 million views, Sydney turned off comments on the video as of Monday. <laughs> Shocker, right? <laughs> uh, so, so we have raised up a generation of woke kids that are now adults and new teachers. And here's a great example of one right here. Can you imagine thinking of the well-being of kids before yourself? I just cannot imagine that. You, I mean, you've got to look out for number one. You cannot, as a teacher, look out for the kids. That is just not acceptable today. Uh, I mean, come on. A, a, another example of uh, of how they they think they they are better. They know better than you, parents. Is this right here? I mean, they, there is in many teachers' minds and even administrators as well, the thinking that, that they know better than you, the parents, the parent, you are just dummies. You don't know anything. Just go back to, you know, sending your kids and then we'll send them back to you to feed them and, and, and put them into bed. And then you send them back to us so that we can indoctrinate them. We know better than you. We are the experts. That's kind of the attitude that you see oftentimes within the education realm. And here's just another example of that. All right, moving right along. Leftists call for a meat tax and <laughs> it reaches a fever pitch. Yes, a meat tax. That's what I said. Ben Zeisloff, who is, uh, writes for the Daily Wire, he says, as 
President Joe Biden signs the largest climate package in American history, some leftists are bothered by policymakers' hesitance to create a tax on meat. (laughs) Democratic lawmakers have long claimed that excrement or poop (laughs) produced by livestock and poultry farming, uh, or shall we put it, cow farts, right? As Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says, um, and she once put it, and that this poop um, may have an outsized impact on global temperatures. Discussion about crafting new uh, disincentives for meat consumption resurfaced as the Inflation Reduction Act, which of course did the opposite, advanced through Congress after months of gridlock. Vox reporter Kenny Torella, uh, Torella uh, for instance, noted that the Inflation Reduction Act devotes 5% of its funds toward changing farming practices while entirely ignoring meat and dairy production, actually, in this, which is what they claim as the sector's biggest climate culprit. So, <laughs> so all this money is going to changing farming practices except in the meat and dairy area, because they have a really big, um, they have a lot of cash that they can give politicians. Quote, even though the money to cut emissions from agricultural is misplaced, the strategy hand out money to do the right thing rather than penalize polluters to do the wrong thing is politically smart. And in keeping with the bill's carrot rather than stick approach to energy, Torella wrote that just like the environmental movement had for decades, the effort to shift our meat-centric food system, meat-centric food system, that's a, that's a really, I'll have to remember that one, uh, to a more plant-based one has historically focused on the stick approach, uh, suing farms for pollution, banning the cage uh, confinements of hens and pigs, and, and even floating the, the concept of a tax on meat consumption. Biden was able to advance many of his policy goals through the $740 billion law, which includes $369 billion in climate spending. So over half of this you know, re, uh, inflation reduction bill is actually being spent on climate control spending, right? The package likewise incorporates billions in new taxes, of course, that the federal government uh, will reap from businesses and the middle class with a twice as large international uh, in, um, uh, IRS service. Um, yeah, remember that that uh, campaign promise that Biden said that he wouldn't raise taxes on anybody under you know four hundred thousand a year. Yeah, so much for that. Though Torella admitted that the hand, uh, handing out carrots in Congress might be a more politically effective path to reforming the factory farming industry, the emissions that it spews and the suffering it creates. He personally supports a meat tax, claiming that the approach has a lot of merit and could build public support for a life and death issue that is too often ignored. Boy, you can tell this guy's a liberal, right? How large could such a tax be, though? I mean, according to researchers like uh, Cameron Hepburn and um, Francisca Funk, as high as, get this, 56% for beef 
25% for poultry, 19% for lamb and pork. These costs that, that are, are necessary to reflect an environmental cost of their production, they say. Part of the tax revenue could finance uh, subsidies for growing vegetables and grains and alternative proteins or help uh, low-income households meet their food bills on a more regular basis. Okay, the researchers respectively associated with the University of Oxford and the Technical University of Berlin suggests in an article for the conservation that just as meat and dairy must become more expensive... Healthy and sustainable plant-based foods should become more affordable. So, okay, so, so meat must become more expensive. Why? Because you dummies like your dead animal food too much. <laughs> okay, but also their plan is to make meat more expensive by taxing you and then give you your own money back to lower your food bill. Oh, that is really, really generous of them, don't you think? Not all policymakers, however, are shy about pu uh, pushing uh, meat consumption. Uh, there is a guy, Henry Dimpleby, <laughs> the, the, the lead non-executive board member of the uh, UK's Department of Environment, Food, and Rural Affairs, said in an interview with The Guardian that a meat tax would help avert the 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 inefficient use of land that livestock production represents inefficient huh quote if we fail on this he says we will fail to meet our biodiversity or climate goals in this country we also have a huge opportunity to show through uh, through leadership worldwide and show them that this can be done and we can farm sustainably and still feed people. So my question here is why is why is that always the default position for the, the climate change nuts? I mean, we, we here in the U.S. should do it first and then the world will follow. But can you show me one time that that worked? I mean, let, let's take a look at, at air pollution. You know, we, we've, we've actually cut air pollution in this country over the recent uh, years. Um, but when you look around the world, nobody else has. I mean, if you look at China in particular, I mean, wow. And it, it just it just doesn't work that way. That's not the way it works. Why and, and why is it up to the government to to incentivize or or de incentivize anything? I mean, why are they trying to push certain things? You know, they don't want us to eat meat, so they make it more expensive with a big old tax. Why is it up to them to do that? That has that should have nothing to do with government. That's government control. Shouldn't have a place here. And and so I, I started. I, I actually broke out the calculator, right? Uh, looked up uh, the uh, average price right now uh, of a New York steak. So if you, you take a look at a New York steak, and let's take let's say you get a one pound New York steak, it's about twenty dollars. So it's twenty dollars a pound. And after this meat tax they're proposing, it's going to be thirty one twenty. Now. Doesn't that actually increase inflation? I think so. But let, let's let's look at a couple of stories here that I think we, we, we like to end on, on good notes. And here's a couple of stories here that I, I think fall into that category. Uh, healthcare workers fired over vaccine mandate awarded $10 million in settlements. 
wow, this is something. Some plaintiffs will be eligible for $45,000 if they were fired as a result of the vaccine mandate. This came from actually foxbusiness.com. said, quote, let this case be a warning to employers that violated the Title VII uh, Act, which is, uh, this This is a quote from, from Matt Staver. He's the founder and chairman of Liberty Council, uh, the group that was behind this lawsuit. And he told the Washington Examiner that it is essentially significant and gratifying that this first class-wide COVID settlement protects healthcare workers. In, in the case, this is centered around workers at North Shore University Health System, uh, who filed a lawsuit back in October of 2021, believe it or not, claiming their employer illegally refu- uh, refused to grant any religious exemptions to a COVID-19 vaccine mandate. The settlement approved in the Illinois Nor- uh, Northern District Court uh, will result in 473 employees of the system becoming eligible for compensation for being denied a religious exemption to the vaccine mandate. And with any of those fired as a result of the rules being eligible for for $25,000. And the 13 plaintiffs involved in the suit will be eligible for an additional $20,000. While those who complied with the mandate to keep their jobs, despite having the religious objections, will be eligible for $3,000. The U.S. District Judge John Knees, who was actually appointed by former President Donald Trump, approved the settlement and appeared to side with the Liberty Council's claim that the mandate violated Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. Anyone fired because of their refusal to get a job and to get the jab will be eligible for the reemployment system. So here's the thing. This is a very significant win for religious uh, rights in this country. It doesn't it, it doesn't matter what emergency that the government comes up with. You can't trample on on people and their god-given rights. That is not again the job of the government. Now, healthcare should have known better than to mandate the vaccine. And yet they did it anyway. And so I am all in favor of these guys getting sued and having to pay. So, and let's, let's, uh, let's, let's hope that I'm sure this will go on to the Supreme court and let's hope that it actually does go into other areas, not just healthcare as well. And, and, and it looks like it will. Now, our last story comes out of Ohio and an Ohio girl's lemonade stand near, near a food festival was shut down after a complaint because, well, she was the subject of a complaint from the nearby food festival. And as Andrew Mark Miller of Fox News said, an eight-year-old girl selling lemonade near an Ohio food festival had her um, operation shut down by, by local police after they received that complaint. Asa Baker was selling lemonade in an alley outside the business where her father worked near uh, the, uh, the Alliance Ohio Rib and Food Festival. Uh, last uh, last weekend, when she says local police officer asked her to shut down the stand. Well, they were really sad <laughs> that they had to shut shut me down, but they gave me twenty dollars to try to pay for it. That that's, the, the police officers did, uh, explaining that she she explained that the police officer gave her the twenty dollars to purchase the needed permit. That was nice, wasn't it? Alliance Police Lieutenant Don Wenzel. Uh, told WJW-TV that people received a complaint from the festival organizers who seemed to be 
uh, conflicted about voicing their concerns, but ultimately officers were required to enforce the local ordinances. Uh, I would definitely tell, uh, uh, I could definitely tell he didn't want to, to shut her down, but I mean, you get a call and he has to do it. He definitely did the right, the right thing, you know, in the situation that he was put in, said Katrina Moore, that's uh, Ace's mother. Um, and, and what was really interesting is as this kind of went viral, um, it, she actually was able to get her stand put back up. Uh, in, uh, a business came to her aid and said, you can put it up on our property and where we'll, you know, do any of the permitting that, that, it, that needs to happen, that type of thing. She's actually made uh, a few hundred dollars now because, because of all of the, the publicity of this. But, you know, I, 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 I love supporting young entrepreneurs. I do. I, I, whenever I see a lemonade stand, I'll be out, you know, maybe doing some garage sale or whatever the case may be. And if I see, if I see a lemonade uh, stand by uh, a little kid or something, I will almost always try to buy from them. If somebody comes to my door, uh, I will almost always try to buy something from them. I mean, this, this, I love supporting young entrepreneurs. And yet this is a, this is a, a micro example of a bigger problem. I mean, why should adults have to go through this kind of thing either? I mean, this is just red tape bureaucracy. And I'm not saying there can't be any kind of regulation on anything, but but this is this is what adults have to go through. And so, you know, it, it's just one of those things that that uh, I, I think we need to take a step back and we need to look at how much people, whether it be an eight-year-old girl or an adult, has to go through in order to be an entrepreneur these days. Uh, it, it definitely puts a drag on our economy and an economy right now that needs all the help it can get. So anyway, you may agree with that. You may disagree with that, but I would love to hear from you and I would love to have that conversation. And you can always do that at UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications. 